Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. John chapter 12. Amen. We'll begin reading in verse number 20. Bible says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. And he that loveth loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. And I just want to uh, teach a lesson that I've entitled Rule and Reign. Rule and Reign. And uh, God bless you. I'll let you be seated this morning. When uh, When you begin to think about the kingdom of God, you will find that God's kingdom sort of works backwards, that his reasoning and promises and ambitions, I'll say, for us are often counterintuitive. You will find throughout the scriptures these paradoxes. Um, I'll give you some examples. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, lose your life to find it, find your life and lose it. Or how about being freed from sin, you became a slave to righteousness. Or the weak are strong and uh, the first are last and the last shall be first. So there's these these paradoxes, right? These, these absurd statements, but once you uncover them and truly understand, you find them to be very, very truthful. Um, Jesus came to this earth preaching the kingdom of God and, you know, preaching his, his rule and reign over all creation. And it looks different than what many of us imagine. And, uh, the, the thing about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, to put it really simply and concisely, is the title of my message, The Rule and Reign of God Over His Creation. That's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God over all creation. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes announcing the rule and reign of God is here in a way that wasn't as visible as before Christ came into the world. And so Jesus comes preaching the kingdom, but the kingdom is confusing to us. The kingdom a lot of times doesn't make 
sense to us. It's a, it's a, it's a paradox. It's because the creator is saying the reign and rule of God is the creator saying it's like this, and our compulsion is usually to determine for ourselves how things should go and how things should be. So where the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, the creator is saying, hey, it works like this, the opposite of that, you and I, and we have this bent and, and we're broken in this, in, this, in this direction, we reject that and we say, okay, okay, but for me, it, it's like this. I understand what you're saying, it's like this, Jesus, but for me, in my nature, in my bent, in my idea, it's like this. And so when you read the scriptures, it's kind of, it's kind of a violent act. It's a, it's a collision of our kingdom versus the real kingdom. And I'll give you some more examples. When Jesus is laying out to his followers how the kingdom would work, he said, blessed are the poor, for they shall be what? Rich. Now, I'm guessing as you uh, filled out your little goal sheet at the beginning of the year, you probably weren't thinking or looking at your spouse thinking, probably need to figure out a way to be more broke this year, right? Or, or, or blessed are those who or blessed are those when they mourn. I'm guessing you didn't say, I want, you know, I want to mourn better this year. I just want to be better at it. Like, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is the paradox. It's, it's an upside down kingdom and it confronts our inclinations and it confronts what feels right to us. I think we can all agree that in, in 2023, reason is gone. Nobody does reason anymore. Everybody goes, oh, what, what do I feel like? How does this make me feel? And the kingdom of God is going to confront that feeling. And it's going to bring that feeling either into order or reject that order and give your, or you'll reject that order and you'll give yourself over to destruction. And you might think that I'm overselling that just a bit, but let's, let's dig into it this morning. So our text, John 12, we're, let's look at the first three verses. Starting in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And with the request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus and Philip goes and tells Andrew and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. There's a ton going on in this text here, so I'm going to try to move as quick as I can. So you have some Greeks. You have some non-Jews, those who would have have those who would have been considered by the Jews as unclean, not welcomed in the synagogue, certainly not a part of God's big plan to establish his kingdom and set up his rule and reign globally. They came seeking Jesus, and that's why the inefficiency here, right? So they come, they come to Philip, and, and we'd, we'd really like to see Jesus. And, and he's like, oh my goodness, these, these are Greeks. Like, what am, I, what am I supposed to do here? I don't want, you know, I think he's thinking, I don't want one of those Peter rebukes. You know, I don't want Jesus to look at me and give me one of those. So he loops in a guy, right? And, he, and, and if you've got kids, kids do this all the time, right? Right? 
where they break something or they, they know they're in trouble. And so whenever they, they go to mom and dad, they bring their brother or sister along with them like, hey, plant broke. Uh, there's a hole in the wall or right. They just want somebody there in case it goes bad for him. And so Philip's like, Andrew, the, 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 the Greeks come, come with me, you know, and, and so they leave the Greeks, right? They, they leave them right there. They go to Jesus and they're laying it out. Hey, the Gentiles have come. The Greeks are here and the Greeks want to see you. And Jesus's response to the Greeks coming to see him is this sentence. Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, uh, you and I have the privilege of being people post-resurrection. So when, when, when we look at this, we're seeing something and getting something that in this moment, no one hearing this would have gotten. Like, they, they think about this as, military triumph. Like, let me ask you a question. How do you think about glory? Here's how we typically think about glory. Glory is power. Glory is fame. Glory is stature. Glory is money, right? We think of triumph. To, to glory in something or to have glory is Man, you're victorious. You're, you're wealthy. You're, the treasure is yours. You have won. You have power. But Jesus is not referencing that kind of conquest. He's referencing his death on the cross, that buyback across the globe, Greeks and Jews and all. That's what he has in view. And so, so that his, his overcoming the world, his, his, uh, his glorification isn't by military might. It's not by picking up our swords. It's not about him conquering some current empire or breaking some current set of laws. But Christ reveals the true nature of glory. How? By emptying himself of the kind of authority that could have done all of that rightly and instead went and died on the cross. Now, if you remember the story of Jesus' arrest, the night of his crucifixion, the high priest guards come and they grab him and Peter ain't having it. I mean, I think Peter is a lot like you and I. And so he pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guards and guards of the high priest and Jesus picks it up and he puts it back on him and he says, he says, man, put away your sword. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And then, then Jesus goes, he adds to it. He's like, don't you know that in any moment I could have at my disposal 12 legions of angels? Jesus here is going, hey, nobody is arresting me here. I'm going. Nobody is taking my life. I'm giving it. Like he's saying, I'm doing this, Peter. They're not doing this to me. And in a, in a moment, Peter, I can just, I can liquidate everything. I can liquidate the whole Roman Empire. I'm doing something they're not taking. I'm giving. 
I love how one writer puts it. He says, what looks like the perfect proof against Jesus' authenticity is capital punishment. Proves by longer exposure to it to be the supreme argument for and the major display of God's profound love for the world. Now, let me say this to you. You and I, we, we so swim in the waters of the, of the world uh, 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 that was built by this sacrifice, built by this glory, that we don't even a lot of times recognize it. In fact, I would argue that even the enemies of Christianity today use concepts given to them by Christianity in order to try and attack us. If you've got any kind of background in historical studies, the, the concepts of human rights, liberty, freedom, friend, those were born on the cross. They weren't born by the Romans, the Spartans, the, the Greeks, or the Medes. They didn't come up with human rights, liberty, and freedom. Those were born of Christ on the cross. None of this exists before Jesus conquers death, hell, and the grave. You can't argue the way that we argue today around equality and unity. Friend, those are biblical concepts. They don't exist in the, in the world before the Christian church grows and begins to push back what's dark and in the world. So even those who would hate the church because of equality or freedom or liberty, or you name it, are actually using concepts that they wouldn't possess if it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for the church. And, it, it, and it's wild to me, and, and, uh, and what it is, um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's satanic judo, I'll call it. You know what judo is? Come at me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> he, hey, he was ready. Now, <laughs> now the way judo works, this Patsy, you know how judo works, but the way judo works as a fighting style is you use the momentum and the force of your opponent against them. So if someone comes at you, you want them to come at you. And you'll take that energy and you'll displace it. You will use that, their energy against them. And uh, that's what we're seeing with a lot of the wickedness in the world right now. What has happened is as the word of God has been, as Christ has been glorified globally, specifically in Western civilization, right? Because that's what built Western civilization. And as this has occurred, you see things being righted. You see the death of the patriarchy, and that's where all this comes from. So in the middle of all this, as the word of God, as the spirit of God, as the people of God started to move humans bend toward wickedness and sin, move it towards more righteous and closer to the heart of God for all people, Satan then takes that momentum and uses it and tries to flip it over into madness and chaos. 
That's what's so wild to me about all the chaos in the world is there's a lot of movements going on that are supposedly in the name of love and doing the right thing. And, and I, I, I love this quote that I ran across. It says this, one of the things about the devil is that he's a fanatic and an enemy of all common sense, moderation, and balance. I, I don't know if you're seeing the same things that I'm seeing, but it seems like all three of those are out the window. Moderation, balance, and common sense. So what's happened where the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God that are starting to rise up and, and, and there's right order and, and culture society. So things like, you know, so what happens? Well, you use that momentum and you take it and you flip it to a place of wickedness, right? Because you can be wrong on both ends of the spectrum. Right, like everybody is trying to turn you into a fanatic, one end or the other. Just don't do it. Don't do it. So the desperate need that you and I both have is for the word of God to continually remind us that glory isn't in grabbing power and being aggressive and making yourself big and conquering the physical force but rather, real glory is found in meekness, strength under control, humility, kindness, prayerfulness, a ferocity that matches the ferocity of Christ. You following me this morning? It's, it, it's an absurd idea, absurd statement. Glory isn't found in might. Glory is found in humility and weakness. Now that kind of flees in the face of what we are taught, right? Certainly flies in the face of our current definitions of glory. Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I really like that idea, it, it gets worse. So let's 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 look at verse 24 together. Verse 24 says, Verily, verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now that Greek word for the word life is the word psyche. You can actually translate that to self if you want to. Now, if you want to talk about a full-on assault for the modern worldview, you say, hate yourself. And you will have people rise up, don't you dare. Don't you, you're wonderful. You don't hate yourself. You are fantastic. You are amazing. So here's what the world is trying to get you to do. And in the end, it's not going to work out for you. All the weight right now is, man, you need to look inside yourself. You need to look down deep inside yourself and find the deepest desires that are down on the inside. You need to find someone who shares those deep desires, look around, find people that were like that, and then you need to just go after it. Go get it, right? I mean, I just want to ask the basic question. How's that working out for us? 
See, the teaching of the kingdom and the reality of the Christian faith is that the more we, the more we kind of turn inward rather than upward, the more things get broken and don't work. In fact, I would say, I would say over and over and over again, there's this, there's this kind of, there's a, there's a good kind of self-hate. Now, I'm not talking, of, you know, I know that we're in kind of a self-care uh, kind of moment, but I am all for good biblical self-care. Take, take a Sabbath. Take, seek solitude and silence. Grab, grab yourself some actual good nutritious food instead of flaming hot Cheetos all the time. Like, take care of yourself. I'm for those things. Take a nap. Get some counseling. Yes to self-care. I don't want you to walk out or say, man, he just, oh. I just, like, cancel that, you know, pedicure or whatever. Yes to self-care. Yes to self-care. But I need you to hear me say and remind you that the essence of sin is self-care centeredness the essence of sin you're like man i don't i don't know bryce i don't know about that i mean morally i'm forget forget morals let's throw morality out for just a second the essence of sin is for you to believe when it comes to neighbors and god that you're your own god in fact here's the here's the great paradox that we're seeing in this passage and hear me right now, because I'm slapping every principality and power that's operating in 2023, that's after your soul, trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything that Christ has brought to you. Hear this. The more you make life about you, the more miserable of a human being you're going to be. The more your God and everyone else is meant to worship at your altar, you're going to be angry and anxious and lonely, and life is going to be hard for you. And, and yet the, the whole thrust of society is that you should be for you. You should, if you're not going to be for you, who's going to be for you? Who else is going to be for you if you're not for you? I promise you, I'm not trying to start a fight today. But here, here's what you're sovereign over. Here's what you rule and reign over today. You ready for this? I mean, this is not, this is not a secret. Here's what you rule and reign over. Diddly squat. That's the best way I can put it. You're sovereign over nothing. You rule and reign over nothing. You lack the power, you lack the ability. So many people, they, they bring that into every area of their lives. Think about marriages for a second. They bring that into that, that, that their spouse exists solely to make them happy. Where did that come from? Or at our places of em em employment, you know, everybody at work, they better know what I bring to the table. They better know what value I have. No wonder so many people are angry right now. Listen, emotions have been given to you by God to help you, all right? But there are so many that can just 
easily go into a rage. And so much of that rage is tied to some insidious belief that we're the point of it all. I mean, how much stuff are we taking personally that isn't personal at all? How many of you suffer from road rage? I mean, it's them hands honestly went up in the air. They like flew up in the air. You know, the car pulls out in front of you and you're like, they did it on purpose. They seen me coming. Why are they driving so slow? They're doing it to upset me. They're doing that to me. They know me. They know I'm behind them. It's called a bleaker. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people have road rage with a shopping cart. A couple more. Confession is good. Is so good. What what is that though? What is that? I used to I used to get upset when people were driving slow in front of me, and I've I've come to realize because I've caught myself driving slow, and it's usually when I'm trying to transport something I don't want to fall over in the car. So that's kind of the mindset. Anybody gets in front of me, I was like, they probably got a cake in there. They probably just got a jug of Kool-Aid or something. You know, they're headed to a birthday party. I don't want to beep, 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 get out of the way. You know, how dare somebody get in the left lane and just sit there? They know that's against the law, right? Like, what is that? You know what that is? Like, here's what it is. It's a need for the world to behave the way that it's meant to behave for us. You know why most people are angry? Because they're not sovereign over anything. They can't rule and reign over anything. They can't even rule over themselves. Serious question. Who's lied to you as much as you have? Anybody ever made a promise to yourself and and broke it more than you have? Huh? Has anyone been more abusive to you than you have? See, a lot of head shakes. And you're your God. You're the end-all, be-all. Like, like, this isn't the way to life. The way to life is to go, I'm a terrible God. Forget that. I'm done with that. To, to die to self, so it's a, the cardinal sin of the secular age, is the only way, church, to actually ever live. And you are racked with anxiety all the time. I wonder how much of that anxiety was directly tied to the fact that you're desperately desperately trying to control your environment and you can't. And you don't know what's coming tomorrow and that terrifies you. And you, you, your control over people isn't working so you react with anxiety. How much of that is tied to your belief that you are supposed to be ruling something? And here's what's great. Here's the the Christian position. We get to die to all of that because we're not the point. But we know who the point is. 
and we get to die to some of the anxiety because we know the one who is sovereign over every molecule in the universe. And guess what? He's moved toward us with grace and compassion. He hasn't moved toward us to condemn us. So in that space, we... We, we get freed up from some of our rage, not all of it, because, because not all of our historic rage is, is tied to us thinking that we're God. Some of it goes back to words and wounds, which is our subject for another day. But we get freed up from anxiety because we know the one who knows. And the one who knows, he knows me. And the one who knows me says, I'm not against you. I'm for you. There's no condemnation for you. And so you know what? I believe these promises. I grab hold of that and then live life in a scary, fallen, broken world where bad things happen to great people. And bad things happen to terrible people. And the world is broken. And to be able to go, but I know my Redeemer lives. Isn't that what Job said when the whole world burned? But I know that my Redeemer lives and he's able. Then you just got to let go of that every time it flares up. I know dying to self isn't really a subject that you want to start your day off with, right? Here's a little secret to dying to yourself. Because it's not like it's this one-time deal, right? It's not even a once-a-day thing. I mean, maybe, maybe you're different than me. But for, for me, it could some days it's, it's rough, right? It could be all throughout the day that little things here and there, these, these compulsions that have to be put to death, right? Maybe not. I mean, maybe some of you are godlier than me. I mean, let me know. Maybe we can let you teach next week. I don't know, but dying to self happens a lot. Here's how the Apostle John talks about it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So a couple things. And if you're new here with us, if you listen to this podcast, first time, never been here, I want you to know that, that our goal as a staff isn't to try to tickle your ears and sell you something that doesn't line up with the word of God the call of your life by the creator of the universe isn't follow me and all your dreams will come true. His invitation is not, hey, if you stop this and you start doing this, good things will happen to you. No, the call is that the one who knows and the one who is willing to rule and reign over your life in a way that when you try to do it, you grow exhausted Weary, anxious, angry, and lonely. The death of Jesus on the cross is about purchasing you and I as a son and as a daughter and transferring us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I know you come in here and, and you hear the gospel on repeat, right? And maybe you're like, I'm just so tired of life at his is. I'm so tired of what's going on in my life. Here's the good news. 
You don't have to leave here today with any of that weight. You can leave here today with freedom that comes from, I refuse to be my own God any longer. And God, I ask you to rule and reign in my life. Jesus, forgive me for my self-centeredness. Help me to surrender to you and help me to follow you. You can leave this room lighter than you came in. But I also want to remind you, that the ongoing work of sanctification requires you and I over and over again to be confronted by the Word of God and submit to it. That is God beckoning you and I into greater life. Don't don't get frustrated when the Word of God convicts you and it pricks at you and it speaks to you. Don't run from that. Lean into that. Embrace the Word of God as it confronts. Be thankful that there's still conviction there. The Word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it does confront us. It convicts us, but lean into it. Don't shy away from it. Did you know that all of the thou shouts and thou shalt nots, you know what they're actually about? They're actually about life and joy. It's not God trying to take anything from you. He's trying to get you to that place. But again, it's paradoxical. It's, it's absurd. It's different. It's counterintuitive. It's opposite of our thinking. It doesn't make sense. We're like, man, if I let... If I let anybody, if I let anybody into that, if I let anybody into that, if, or if I don't project this particular image, or my goodness, what are people going to think of me, right? And then this fear sets in of, oh, no, I'm, I'll die on the inside when the invitation is actually, if you'll die, you can get rid of all that and actually live. And when you do, guess what? You're going to be marked by joy rather than fear. Fear of being found out. Fear of your kids looking at you differently. Fear of your neighbors looking at you in this way. When you get to that, you know, look at what you're doing there. You're defining your reality looking around at other people rather than looking to the one place. I'm, I'm trying to bid you today to just die a little bit. Just die a little bit more, right? And this, this is the ongoing work of sanctification. The number of times the Spirit of God confronts us in and through the Scriptures, every single time is an invitation to greater intimacy, greater joy, and actually life. And it's an assault on my false belief that my feelings and desires are actually superior to the Creator's. And if we can learn to see that way and be more quick to say yes and to die to self, the sooner we'll live in a life that Jesus calls to the full. And that's really the invitation that's on the table for you today. I ask our music to come. I want to wrap up and look at.
verse 26. Because here's another seemingly absurd idea to consider. Jesus says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Here's my question. Do you want to be where the action is? Like, do you want to be right in the middle of what's actually going on? What we need to be, and I think for the most part are, but I think, I, I think we are all the more becoming when we are a group of men and women who are not happy being spectators. But we long to be right in the middle of the action. And you see the invitation here in the paradox of what's going on. He says, do you want to be with me? Do you want to be right in the middle of the action, right in the middle of the point of history? Follow me and serve me. Follow me and serve. That's the command here. The difference between the number of Christians that are happy to stay in the stands that, that believe that the kingdom has been given to a guy like, like, like me and Brother Rice and it's been given to us, people, men who work in the church, rather than being given to you, rather than been given to you who lives in a specific neighborhood and works at a specific place, it's widespread. But we don't find anything like that in the Bible. And so the paradox, this is it. If you want to be right in the middle of the action, you want to be on the field, you want to be living your best life, you want to be walking in glory, it requires a seriousness about following Jesus that transcends Sunday morning attendance. Your faithfulness is so appreciated here. But your attendance does not make you a Christian. Any more than me running out on a football field makes me one of the players. Right? So he says, this, this is what he's talking about, this absurd statement, this absurd idea is you want to be right in the action. You want to be, you want all of that. You want to be right in the middle and the point of it all. Follow me and serve me. And then he moves on. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is a, a future orientation that marks and drives the Christian life. And this passage isn't saying, hey, if you follow and serve Jesus, he's going to increase your bank account. He's going to give you great hair or your kids are going to be perfect or your marriage is going to be amazing. No, this is when all things are said and done before the throne of God.
the creator of the universe, is going to honor you. This is eternity that we're talking about, which is something that the Bible talks about over and over and over again. The Bible is saying, hey, it matters. It matters. What you do here matters. I know there's going to be a lot of people. Stand with me this morning, if you will, please. There'll be a lot of people. You get to heaven. You're going to smell a little smoky, right? Refined in the fire. Been through it all, man. Just barely hung on. You're going to have a dainty little shack somewhere. You'll be like, I made it. I made it. And the scripture seems to me to say that there are others who have this reward for how they served and followed God. It's not, it's beyond salvation. It's he will honor them. You and I, you and I live in a really scary already, but not yet. We're, we're, we're in the space between, right? Like the victory of Christ is a sure thing. And, and we're meant to live our lives for another day while being faithfully present in the here and now. Dying to self, walking in humility that ends up being profoundly powerful while walking alongside one another, serving one another. So here's my encouragement. In the room today, all of us, what God demands from us is everything. The, the, the commands of Scripture, they woo us into deeper, deeper life, a deeper life of Him over and over again. So I just like you to just, in the closing moments of this first segment here, try to identify where's the no at in your life? Where's the no at right now? Where are you saying no to God right now? Where are you maybe hiding at right now? Where have you kept your struggles and your fears and your doubts a secret? Where have you tried to bury your anxiety under another binging session? And the reason I ask that is because these are the spaces where the Spirit of God is wanting to work. These are the spaces where God is calling us in a deeper intimacy and into life. This is where the Spirit of God wants to confront and remind you if you will die yet again. And if you're new to this, maybe for die for the first time. Listen, you don't have to rule and reign anymore. You don't have to be your own God. God will guide you. God will lead you. God will protect you. He will carry you safely home. And guess what? Unlike every single one of us, he has the power to do it. He has the ability to do it. So friend, take care of yourself. Do good. Eat well. Take care. Get rest. But hear me. Outcomes are out of your hand. And the more you refuse to believe that and try to clamp down and control everything, 
the more of a giant mess you're going to make. You don't have to rule and reign anymore. We have someone. We have a God. We have a God who sits on the throne today. Would you just bow your head, lift up your voice with me right now in the closing moments of this first service, and would you just, would you just talk to the Lord with me? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.